G'day, welcome along to another sermon from Good News Christian Church in Howrah, Tasmania, Australia. I'm Bernard Kane, I'm the pastor. Get in touch sometime at goodnewschristianchurch.org or why not come by one Sunday morning. For now, here's the sermon. Uh, we now come to the time of our sermon. That's an interesting passage, isn't it? Isn't it? There's some um, wild and interesting stuff in there. We'll come to it shortly. I'd like to ooh, not drop my phone on the floor. That's what I'd like to do. Um, I'd like to begin here, though, before we pray and turn to 1 Peter. Please keep that passage open in front of you. Where there's life, there's hope. That's what we say, isn't it? Where there's life, there's hope. Um, I'm sure you all remember uh, what must have been, must have been I, the most gripping news story at least in Western media last year. Do you remember the, um, the story, those 12 boys and their assistant coach who became isolated and trapped in the Tam Nuang uh, Nung Non cave system in far north Thailand near, um, near Chiang Rai in what we now know as one of the greatest cave rescues on record, uh, which is fantastic now, now that we know the outcome. Um, they were reported uh, missing Late on the 23rd of June, on the 23rd of June 2018, so just over a year ago, and they were reported missing when their head coach, so not the assistant coach, the head coach went looking for them and found their bikes and their bags ominously just outside the cave mouth. Um, it turns out that they'd gone in to play and explore the caves just after soccer practice that afternoon, and no sooner had they entered the caves than a heavy downpour began. It was monsoon season, of course, which rapidly then flooded it, so they found themselves fleeing further and further, deeper and deeper, into the cave system. That was the 23rd of June, 2018. Where there's life, there's hope. But was there life still in that cave or not? Uh, well, I find this staggering. Do you remember how many days it took just to locate them, just to make contact with them? More than a week. More than a week. Alone, in the dark, hemmed in by rock above and the water below and all around them. More than a week before first contact, before they knew that anyone knew that they were missing isolated, alone, in the dark. And the challenge to get them out? Uh, well, let me quote this little bit to you. Uh, the point where the boys became stranded was about four kilometres from the entrance, 800 to 1,000 metres below the top of the mountain. The route to them, through the caves, had several flooded sections, some with strong currents and zero visibility and some extremely narrow parts, the smallest measuring only 38 centimetres by 72 centimetres. Um, you might recall that before they were rescued, before they'd got anyone out, uh, one of the Thai Navy SEAL divers uh, drowned in the cave system. He was moving oxygen tanks. That's all he, was. he wasn't even trying to get them out at that point. I've got to confess, I didn't expect that any of them were going to make it. I don't know what you thought. Or maybe some of them would, but there's no way that they were all going to make it. Do you remember your feelings at the time, your thoughts at the time? Where there's life, there's hope? Well, maybe. <laughs> it seemed pretty hopeless to me at the time. Now, here's the parallel as we come to 1 Peter this morning. From one point of view, I think Peter presents this world around his original recipients of this letter. This world 
as a thoroughly, a desperately hopeless place. Is that what we've seen over these past, this past month or so? It may be very much full of very much alive people, but even for us Christians, we, we, we find the world is often so hostile. Uh, we suffer, and of course, non-Christians suffer as well, but Christians in many circumstances, as we've heard this morning, suffer all the more precisely because we are Christians. The world, as Peter presents it here, has been a lonely, a hard, a cramped and often cruel place. It's the kind of place that were God to come into earth in human form, they would find him and crush him and kill him on a cross. That's the kind of world that we live in. There may be life here in the world, but is there hope? And I think Peter describes, in other words, a world where a soccer team full of boys might just wander into a cave one evening, full of life and fun and exploration, and never find their way out. It's just the world that we live in. Isn't that our world? So draining of hope and life and lightness. And yet, and this is where we come to 1 Peter 3 and 4 this morning, and yet, can we look at this passage uh, together from verse 8 of chapter 3? If, if you feel the heaviness of our world if it weighs on you, if it falls heavy on your shoulders from time to time, the heaviness above, the rising tide coming up from below, Peter describes a life for you, available to you, Christian, uh, not of horrible burden, but a life that is buoyantly hopeful yet, even in this world. Is that what we see? I wonder if, if that's how you would describe your life at the moment. Yes, in a world of horrible burden, and yet is your life one of buoyant hopefulness? He describes life in that real hard and hurting world, um, for you, Christian, um, as a journey of lightness through a heavy world, of brightness in a yet dark world. And I think it all stems from this, a journey of hopefulness in a world of hopelessness, and it is such a different life to live. Can we pray as we turn to 1 Peter 3 and 4, please? Let's pray together. Our Father God in heaven, um, what a relief it is, actually, to revisit your goodness and mercy to those dozen boys and their coach last year. Uh, we thanked you for their lives preserved at the time, and we remember it again, and we praise you again for your mercy to them, for the reprieve that you gave them and their families as they emerged back into the light, back into the world. There was life in those caves and life emerged still from those caves. Father, today we ask for your help as we look at our lives, um, not in caves, but certainly in a world that can feel at times menacing and dark and in many respects it really is, where we do feel alone and where, dare we say it, things get to feel a little hopeless from time to time. God in heaven, our Father to us, would you speak from your word, by your spirit now please, that we might discover this hope afresh, experience and know and remember or for some of us perhaps for the first time take hold of that hope which is Christ and we ask it in Jesus' name please. Amen. So please have the passage open in front of you uh, if, you've, if you've got it. Um, I'll try to, to read the important bits out to you if you haven't got a, a, the text in front of you. Where there's life, there's hope. And I'm going to say, where there's hope, there is life. 
um, today. I think that's what we'll see. I suspect the, the best known verse, quite apart from some of those weird ones, which we'll get to um, talking about um, imprisoned spirits and all the rest, I reckon the best known verse in this passage uh, is probably chapter 3, verse 15. Would you agree? Uh, I wonder if that's the memory verse that kind of, you know, sparked in your mind as Joanne was reading it to us just before. It's absolutely my favourite verse in this passage, halfway through chapter uh, 3, verse 15. Always be prepared. Do you know, remember the verse? Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Now, I wonder why you love that verse. I, I'm presuming that you do. I certainly love that verse. Um, it's, the, it's the everyone's an evangelist verse, isn't it, in some ways? Always be prepared. Um, so, brothers and sisters, are you ready? Have you learned? Have you got your gospel outline? Do you know how to explain Jesus to the people around you? Prepare yourself for the question. And when it comes, share the gospel, all right? Uh, share the news about Jesus. Will you do that? Except that's not quite, it's not quite what Peter says there. Let's take a closer look together. That, that'll be our way in to the text. Um, I, and I do think that's a good application of it. It's great to learn gospel outlines. It's brilliant to be able to explain Jesus to your friends. But it's not exactly the emphasis that Peter's got there. See, well, have a look at the verse, chapter 3, verse 15. What is it that you and I, uh, what is it that these scattered, exiled, foreigner, um, dear friend Christians flung into Asia Minor at the fringes of the Roman Empire in a strange culture in vulnerable, hard-pressing times, uh, what is it that they were to share in that verse? What might people plausibly look at their life and ask them to explain? Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Peter highlights four helps that hope lends to the Christian life in a hopeless world. Four areas where your life might just stand out so much that someone might have reason to ask you, why on earth? Give me the reason for the hope that you have in this hopeless world. There's our structure for today, these four things. We'll take them fairly quickly. Hope helps us to heal and makes us whole. Hope helps our hopelessness and our hurting and the hopelessness around us. Hope helps us heed what is ahead, not just what's behind and what's all around us. And hope moves our hands to help. I'll say them again slowly as we go through. But hope helps us heal what's uh, heal and makes us whole. Hope helps our hopelessness and our hurting. Hope helps us heed what's ahead and not just what's around and behind. And hope moves our hands then to help. And the thought is, if you live a hopeful life through Christ in a hopeless world, then you'd better be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for, uh, to give the reason for the hope that you have. Because what a strange creature you'll be, a hopeful person in a hopeless world. Are we that hopeful? I think 1 Peter 3 and 4 calls us to that. So, four points. Let's move through them fairly quickly. Um, firstly, hope helps us heal and makes us whole. And the emphasis in, those, in that sentence is on the us. It's us together as the people of God, together, the us as Christians. The world may be hard and hopeless. It may bring hurt and it may bring hassle. And in fact, the sad reality is that Christians 
may be hard and hurt one another, be a hassle and leave you feeling a bit hopeless at times. So brothers and sisters, have a listen to the way Peter says that if we share the ancient hopes of God's own people down the ages, then we must and we will and we can heal the wounds that we deal to one another among Christians, this is. Is this our church? Is this, does Peter describe our church here? Chapter 3, verse 8, let's pick it up. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. And then we quote from the psalm, don't we? For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And you can see David's hope in there, can't you? Uh, David, it's a psalm, as I mentioned, David penned it about 1000 BC or thereabouts. Whoever would love life and see good days. There's the hope. He penned those words though. Uh, If you go back to the psalm, if you read the the very first bit of the psalm, the introduction he bit, um, he penned those words when he suddenly found himself in Philistine territory and he figured that his only hope was to pretend he had lost his mind. If he was to love life and see good days, pretend he was insane, pretend he'd lost his marbles, maybe he'd make it through, he was living in la-la land, another world. And of course, the reality is, Christian, we don't live in another land, but we do live for another land. That's how different we may look to the world at large, and it might well look absolutely crazy, Because the world may live like this, repay evil with evil and insult with insult. Not you, not us, brothers and sisters. Not with our hope, not with where we're going. On the contrary, verse 9 of uh, in 1 Peter, uh, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. Now, I suppose if this life, if this life is your inheritance, if this world is the, uh, the, the, the life you would love and the good days that you crave, then how can you repay uh, uh, evil with blessing? Mustn't you fight to get your blessing back when it's taken from tooth and nail? If this is your life, this is the inheritance that you crave and the good days that you seek, No, does your hope help you to heal what's broken with your brothers and sisters here at church? Does your hope help you to mend what is shattered, to put the pieces back together with one another when things start to fall apart a bit, start to fray amongst the people of God? It happens. Maybe a hard and hurting world out there, it's a hard and hurting world amongst Christians sometimes, isn't it? Does your hope help you to mend what's shattered? Secondly, our hope helps our hopelessness and our hurting. And this, uh, let me say, it's one of the weirdest texts in the entire Bible, I think, uh, there at the end of chapter 3 of 1 Peter. It starts out plain enough. Um, If you really become such a peaceable, loving, 
um, hopeful person, then even non-Christian people are going to notice. And so, verse 13, who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But if you should suffer for what's right, you're blessed. Do not fear their threats, do not be frightened, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. If someone comes to you, why, would you, why, would you, why did you do that? Why would you repay evil with good? Why did you give her another chance? She didn't deserve it, do you see? Why on earth would you do that? What are you living for? Why would you let him off? And you see it amongst the younger generation. But she did it first. Well, he ate mine. But that's not fair. What on earth is driving your life, Christian? Always be prepared, verse 15, to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it's better, if it's God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Now, from here it turns kind of weird with the um, uh, imprisoned spirits and uh, Jesus proclaiming to them and, and so forth. But I think it's just saying this. It's making a comparison for the people who are Peter's audience. I think it's saying this. Just like in Noah's time, when God's people were few, when God's people had to wait and they suffered... And God just waited and everyone around them hated God and thought they were fools, thought they were idiots. Do you realise that Christ's resurrection declares to them, declares to you, declares to us, declares to all of history that where there's life, there's hope and there's hope in the risen Jesus? Isn't that the reason for the hope that you have, Christians? That he died for sin to bring you to God Never mind that you're few. Never mind that the world is unfair. God is faithful. Christ is risen so we can be hopeful. Let's have a look at the verses together. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He, has, he was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. That's referring to his resurrection. He was risen from the dead. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolises baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who's gone into heaven. And to God's right hand, with angels, authorities and powers in submission to him. Now, the questions mount up, don't they? Who are the imprisoned spirits? When and what did Jesus proclaim or declare to them? What is the deal with the whole Noah stuff anyway? They just seem to come out of nowhere. And what's it got to do with us? If you cast your mind across, uh, we won't turn there now, but to, to Romans chapter 1, Paul says in Romans chapter 1, that the resurrection itself is, this, is like this massive cosmic statement to the universe that Jesus was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead. That the resurrection itself declares to the universe, in other words, that Jesus 
was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead. And personally, I think that's what's going on here with this uh, proclamation to imprisoned spirits. It's not that Jesus had to, you know, find a lectern amongst the imprisoned spirits. Uh, They're all down there in their orange jumpsuits or whatever it is. And he had to find a lectern and preach a sermon to them. No, the fact that he is risen, the fact that he rose from the dead, proclaims to them uh, that Noah and his family were right to hope in God. Do you see? Proclaims to all of history. Now, why were Noah and his generation singled out um, in this particular bit? They do seem to come out of nowhere. Well, um, I'll just read this little bit to you um, from a a commentary. Uh, Noah was the most prominent known biblical figure in Asia Minor, uh, so the region that this letter was written to. Noah was the most prominent known biblical figure in Asia Minor, even among the Gentiles. So Peter's just picked the the best-known character from biblical history at the time and said the resurrection is even declared to them that the the few who trusted in God at the time were right in a hostile world, just like you. In their culture, in their setting, even pagans knew who Noah was. So Peter's giving them a little hook. Christian, will you see yourself not as an unhinged band of crazies building a boat in a desert to fend off a future that's never going to happen. No. Do you remember what happened to Noah? Of course you remember what happened to Noah. Everyone knows what happened to Noah. You may be few now. You may be suffering now. You may be thought stupid and silly now by all of your peers. God may be being patient now. In other words, he's taking his time. And you're suffering all the while, but you are saved. Do you see? By the resurrection of Jesus Christ, verse 22, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities and powers in submission to him. So be willing to suffer for Christ, Christian. And more than that, if anyone ever asks you for the reason, for the hope that you have, gosh, you've got to tell them, don't you? so that they can share it with you, so they can be ashamed of their slander, not with spite and not to spurn them and not so that they'll drown and die and be destroyed forever. No, with gentleness and respect so that they might learn to be ashamed, yes, of their slander, saved through the waters of baptism with a clear conscience and all the rest, you see. A hope that knocks back not only our own hopelessness, but the hopelessness of others. That was easily the longest point. Thirdly, let's move on. Thirdly and quickly, the third difference that hope makes, um, doesn't it help us heed what is ahead rather than just what is all around us and what is in our past? And I think this is where the lightness um, and brightness come from. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Stop just there. What was Christ's attitude? So, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Which attitude? Despondency? Well, I guess I'm going to suffer in the world. Despair? It doesn't matter what I do. Who cares? God doesn't even care. He's going to let me suffer anyway. No, which attitude? 
I think it's actually an attitude, isn't it, in this context of confident hope that says, I know that Christ suffered in his body and he rose through the power of God. So I know God will see me that when, that, uh, see that when my suffering is through, I will rise with him. Isn't that what it is? A confident hope. So I'm never going to go back there to where I was. I'm not going to slide into what's all around me here. I'm going to see what's ahead. Confident hope. Therefore, chapter 4, verse 1, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. If you've spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing and detestable idolatry, they're surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living. They heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. Um, now, who were those dead that the gospel was preached? It just means dead Christians. In other words, people who have heard the gospel but died now. Why did we preach the gospel to them? Well, they are the hopeful dead. We didn't preach to them to spare them from the abuse of their peers, but to save them from the judgment to come. A Christian hope looks forward to meeting God rather than being terrified by the prospect and in denial of it. Do you have that kind of optimism? Is your hope so sure that you look forward to meeting God through the Lord Jesus Christ? If you don't, and if you still have some of that fear, do you realise that's the difference that Jesus could make in your life? Hope in a hopeless world. And finally, and very quickly, hope doesn't just help um, reactively, you know, when the suffering comes, when the darkness, when the heaviness comes in on us, but proactively. And that's where the passage concludes. Hope moves our hands to help, lastly. Words and actions, not just, not just hands, but words and actions, forgiveness, generosity, the whole lot. Um, is this what we bring to church every week? Hope fueled service to one another. Let's have a look, uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks They should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Where there's life, there's hope. But I think this passage shows us it's not so much in the sense that if I'm alive then I guess I've still got hope. 
yeah, where there's life, there's hope. But my life, do you see, is not the anchor for my hope. What is, for us, isn't it this, since he is alive, there is hope for me that can never die. Where there's life, that is to say, in Jesus, there's hope. And so my hope need never die. Are you able to say that? Let's conclude. Uh, Back in that uh, cave in Thailand, July the 8th, 2018. So those boys and their uh, assistant coach have been trapped in there for two full weeks, more than two full weeks now. Uh, Their oxygen levels are below safe in the cave where they are. There's rain on the forecast, more monsoonal rains. Uh, One diver has died already. Do you remember, do you realise this? They they brought them out unconscious. Uh, They anaesthetised the boys. It was absolutely deliberate. Um, Every boy had a professional diver attached to them. Um, They had an oxygen tank um, strapped to their chest and a mask, of course, coming up to their face um, and an actual handle strapped onto their back Uh, And they were medicated by an Australian anaesthetist, uh, Dr. Richard Harris. So the divers called each boy a package. And you can see why, can't you? Um, And I think that's the difference between them and us. You see, those boys were safe, weren't they? Uh, They had the best team on the planet. They had the expertise of nations. They had grounds for confident hope and even their own panic couldn't throw things off because they were out to it. But all the way out, those four kilometres of the cave and the water and the current and the dark, they were asleep, just a package through the tunnels from a dark and hard and cramped and horrid little hole in the ground out toward life and light and loved ones and relief again but we aren't asleep. We're awake, very much awake to this hard and cramping world around us. Friends, it may feel at times that in our world and our culture, we are very few. We're unwelcome. We are unliked. We are a criticised band of brothers and sisters who, who barely have the air that we need to breathe in our Christian lives. What do we have? We have a sure and certain hope in the risen Lord Jesus, alive in the spirit, life and light at God's right hand, yes, and yet near to us and with us, giving us the strength that he provides. Let's pray together. Now, Father God in heaven, uh, we are conscious and some of us acutely so that our passage through this life and this world is one marked by suffering. What a hope and a comfort, a reassurance and an anchor it is to see Jesus ahead of us, at the right hand of heaven, far above the most arrogant and powerful, and yet down here with us as well by his spirit. Father, we do confess that we find it hard to imitate his boundless generosity, even to his fiercest opponents, even to those who nailed his hands and feet. And God, we plead with you. May our hearts be places where hope moves hands to heal those around us. 
Give us not only the words to share our hope, give us the hearts that long to share it. So confident and clear on Christ's resurrection that we are inspired to mimic his love. So merciful and kind that we're inspired to win the hearts, even of our critics, rather than to repay them in kind. Father, we want to be emblems of the hope of Christ in our homes, in our relationships, with those who are dearest to us, in our workplaces, emblems of hope. When everyone's watching and when no one can see, the end of all things is near, so may we rejoice in that, in Christ. Amen.